to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I am the culture editor at The Bulwark. Uh, I'm very, very pleased to be joined today by Eddie Muller. Eddie Muller is the Film Noir Foundation founder and president. Uh, he hosts Noir Alley on Turner Classic Movies and is the author of, among other books, Dark City, The Lost World of Film Noir, and The Art of Noir. Uh, thanks for being on the show today, Eddie. I really appreciate it. It is, uh, so far, it is my pleasure, Sonny. <laughs> uh, no no harsh interrogations here, I promise you. So I, uh, I I reached out to you because you had a very interesting th- thread the other day. The the, uh, the HFPA, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, is under fire for, you know, diversity practices and, and how they give out awards and et cetera. I don't really want to get into any of that, but... Uh, there was there was an interesting thread that you pulled on, and other people uh, I know and follow have pulled on, like Peter Labuza, former guest on this show. Um, basically, the HFPA uses its television bounty every year in part to fund uh, film restoration projects, including those uh, done by the Film Noir Foundation. And I'm I, I wanted you I, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that and and kind of the uh, the financial frankly, uh, benefit that, that you know, these shows, as ridiculous as we might put them out to be and as, as much fun as we might make of them, the actual good work that they do for the, the history of film and the, the world of filmmaking. Sure. And, uh, I mean, I'm happy to do it because these, these are complicated issues and it's something that I don't think people completely grasp. Uh, and, you know, I hope people don't take this the wrong way because I'm I'm really not saying any of this to try to uh, you know offer a defense of these things uh, that the HFPA some of the some of the members of the sure. HFPA are being accused of to me that's like a separate issue you know but the fact of the matter is these organizations just like the Film Noir Foundation exist as non-profits right we have we have a mission we have a crusade that requires funding uh but we're not supposed to raise this money and then use it for our own benefit it has to be fed back in to uh worthwhile pursuits so the hfpa has uh within it has a thing called the hfpa charitable trust and the money that they raise every year through um, licensing the Golden Globes to television for that big show, uh, they then parcel out that money to uh, groups that are in need of funding. Not Obviously not just the Film Noir Foundation, but the Film Foundation, Martin Scorsese's Film Foundation, uh, University of California, Los Angeles Film and Television Archive, um, you know, the where I show in Hollywood at the Egyptian Theater, uh, the HFPA funded um, the projection booth at the Egyptian Theater so that it could be retro uh, or refurbished to show nitrate film, one of the only places in the United States now that can do that. So there are all these good things that come out of it. And, and the same is true of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The Oscar broadcast really... Uh, the money they get from that helps fund their operations, including the creation of this new uh, Academy Film Museum that will be located in Hollywood and be like the biggest motion picture museum in the world. And and it, it and this goes all the way down to small stuff like funding, uh, you, you know, filmmaking programs in underprivileged areas and stuff like that. So um, you know, and there's a whole grant process that we go through in order to uh, earn this money 
right? And uh, and that that is somewhat of an interrogation. Uh, you know, we, every year we go through this, and uh, it, it's quite complicated. And we're always very gratified when we end up getting either uh, full funding for a restoration project or or even partial funding, as the case may be. So. Um, so, so that's why I posted that on Twitter to just say, hey, you know, before you, before you throw stones at the public face of an organization, you should take into account some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that isn't quite as publicly known. Yeah. What is, what is that grant process actually like? I mean, do you come to them and say, hey, we have this movie uh, that we have a print of, we need to restore it. Uh, can you, can you provide us this much funding or is it, is it more general? Is it like we're out, we're out there looking for new, new films to, to find and, and, and restore, you know, can help us, help us with that? No, it is, it is very, very specific. Uh, they, they will not give funding if you just say, Hey, we're an organization that needs some operational funds to keep us going. That, that won't cut it. We, we have, uh, my colleague, Darl Sparks, it writes these grant proposals that are for a specific film. You have to justify the work by describing its significance in cinema history. You have to do an itemized budget request uh, for exactly who you're going to go to to do the work and why it's going to cost a certain amount of money. And you are making a specific request for funding. So, I mean, we include all that. We've, we've worked now with the UCLA Film and Television Archive and various subcontractors and things long enough to know how much these things are going to cost. And I, I have to tell you, it, it never gets less expensive. It only <laughs> gets more expensive. Sure. Uh, and, and it's difficult, too, because uh, we're now in a, in a very shifting environment for this kind of work. When we started doing this 15 years ago, 15, 16 years ago, all the restorations were photochemical. We were taking original negatives and, and making photochemical restorations, right? Uh, and now most of this work is done digitally. So if, and, and I was, a, and I still am in some respects, a holdout believing that uh, photochemical restoration is the proper archival way of preserving these films because we don't know what the life of a digital restoration is at this point, as opposed to, uh, you know, doing it as film. We know how long that's going to last. Um, so, and they keep changing the platform on which you can show digital. So you do it one way and then it be, it's no longer the standard, right? Whereas when right. you do a 35 millimeter restoration, it's a 35 millimeter restoration. It's not changing. And in 20 years, you're still going to be able to show it the same way. If 35 millimeter projection exists right. in 30 years, right? Yeah. So, so that's the challenge that we now have is that we, we have, uh, I, I think we have, I'm not, I don't want to use the word sacrifice because we doesn't, we don't know yet if that's the case, but we have chosen convenience over, true archival preservation uh, by doing everything digitally. And, and yeah. it's important to know that it's not less expensive to do it digitally. In some cases, it's it's more expensive. So th this is these are the challenges that we face. And anyway, that was a long answer yeah. to your question about 
what what we have to submit when we're yeah. asking for a grant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I you know the 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 on the HFPA's website they they said they've given away forty five million dollars over the last twenty eight years to you know help help restore these things, provide scholarships, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's not an insignificant amount of money. I want to I want to dive into this this question of restoration. I've I've been trying to find somebody to talk about film restoration for a while now. So this is the real reason I'm having you on. Ha ha. You, okay. You've, you've been tricked. Uh, the but the uh, I. Uh, uh, I, I I saw Christopher Nolan once talk to the Library of Congress about film restoration, and he made the exact same point that you did about the you, when you start getting into 4K versus Blu-ray specs versus DVD specs, uh, and all of these different digital formats. The color timing is different on all of them. The the uh, you know how the format is actually saved is different on all of them. Whereas when you have film, it's just film. It's like mm-hmm. you have the film. We know we know how to project film and how it's going to look and how it should look. Um, so I was I was hoping you could talk to me a little bit about what it's like to actually restore uh, film from film stock, either negative or you know uh, first pressings or whatever. I I don't know very much about this topic at all. So I'm I'm very excited. I I want to know what the actual technical process is like when you when you get a when you get a movie that you're excited to you know save and show the re- the rest of the world forever uh, how do you actually make that how do you restore it how do you make it something that, that can be can be uh, viewed um, well actually I'm no expert in this area either I mean I, I learned all of this on the job right I, I mean the way I look at it Sonny I am uh, I am sort of a lobbyist okay uh, for film preservation the people who actually do the work are my associates that I I I find the films, I find the money, they do the work, right? Um, But as in anything, the most important thing in terms of amassing the material is to try to get as close to first generation material as possible. If you can find the original negative of the film and the original soundtracks, uh, then, then you're way ahead of the game. If you are down to having to do a restoration from a, let's say, uh, you know, it's a film that was made in 19, whatever, 1944, let's say, uh, there would be a nitrate negative of that film. There would, that's what it would have been made from originally. And, you know, good luck trying to find that. Mm. If, if all you're working with is, uh, a safety print an acetate safety print, cause all nitrate film was banned in the late 40s because it was too flammable and the industry standard went to acetate safety film. If all you're working from is a acetate print from, let's say, the re-release of that movie in the mid-50s, to do a restoration, what that means is you have to strike a new negative from something that's a positive version of the film. So you're already losing a generation and in image and sound quality and sound is vitally important people when they think of restoring stuff they always think of the picture when in fact it's the sound that i would argue is even more crucial Mm -hmm. because you can live with a slightly soft image but you cannot live with a hum or something on a soundtrack it will just drive you absolutely insane 
We just had that same issue uh, as we were starting to record this. So I, I am very sympathetic to As a <laughs> podcast person, I'm very sympathetic That's to That's exactly why I brought that up, because I knew you would understand my point. Um, so what, what's happening is if you do... I, I don't know if this is of interest to you, but it it's interesting that a lot of people now that people are starting to understand about film restoration, but they're not really because everything gets called a restoration now. And like when you take a, a film and you scan it digitally into 4K, people say, this is a 4K digital restoration. And it's not. It's just yeah. a high definition scan of whatever... The original material is and if the original material is flawed then you're getting a beautiful high definition flawed version of the <laughs> film right uh so a restoration is where you actually go in make a new negative so that you can truly restore and preserve this film because then if you have a new negative you can always make a print <laughs> right if you just make a print from the negative there's no prints that exist, but you find the negative and you strike a print without doing anything to enhance it. That's a preservation. Then you are just preserving the film so that it can be seen. Okay. And the same is true of doing that digitally. Let's say you have the negative. There are no prints anywhere and you scan the negative and make a digital copy from the negative. Um, that's not truly a restoration unless you go in and find a way to enhance that or or and I don't want to confuse the issue by saying you're altering it if there are flaws in the original material because negatives warp and and get all messed up and they can get sure. stained and everything you have to fix those flaws in order for it to be a restoration I don't agree that restorations should try to make the image better or different than what it originally was. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a there's a wonderful fellow at uh, Sony who's in charge of the whole Columbia Pictures library named Grover Crisp. And Grover is one of the best restorationists in the business because he does his homework. So when he restored um, Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove, he actually went in and studied Kubrick's notes on the film so that when he was restoring this scene by scene, he wasn't changing it from Kubrick's intention. Mm -hmm. So, so um, that restoration was spectacular. Mm -hmm. um, and he did it both photochemically and digitally because mm -hmm. uh, that's what I always loved about Grover. I'd ask for something out of the Columbia library and he could actually say, do you want it on film or do you want it digital? Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Those are nice, good options to have. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because that, that library is sort of, I call that a right-sized library. Columbia did a lot of great films, but it's not a massive library like MGM or Warner Brothers or Fox mm -hmm. or something. Um, so Grover's stewardship of that library is exemplary because it, it's manageable, yeah. you know? I uh, how do you how do you actually decide as the as the decider you know what what are the the movies that need to be uh, saved and preserved and restored I mean do you do you have kind of a little notebook somewhere where you're like all right we found this one we're gonna we're gonna 
make this negative pristine again or um or is it just kind of what comes to you what you know somebody says i've got a whole bunch of reels of film do you want to take a look at them it's both obviously um there are things that we look for like boy if we could only find this and we've been successful in that regard but then there are things honestly sunny that that i don't know about there are films that i don't know about and these these movies that we've restored from argentina were total discoveries to me. I didn't know anything about Argentine cinema, and mm-hmm. I and I met this wonderful cinephile Fernando Martin Pena, uh, who was in the news in 2008 because he's really the guy who found the the most complete version of Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I remember that story. It was crazy. And that's not all yeah. that he found. That's yeah. the important thing, right? Yeah. It's the thing that everybody cared about and that got in the news. But there were many other things, and, and Fernando never stops looking. And in, in those cases, you know, in this country, it's interesting. It's sort of like you're, you're, you're dealing with gigantic bureaucracies. You know, these studios that own so much stuff that they don't actually know what they have. So you're trying to dig something out uh, where it's safe. You know, it's just a question of getting to it. Mm -hmm. In Fernando's case in Argentina, a lot of these films, uh, you know, were thought to have no second life. And he's finding the original negatives in the summer homes of the producers who made the movies back in the day. And it's like, Eddie, we just got to this. (laughs) You know, the negative was going to melt. We have to do this work right now. And, And this is truly in some cases that's how it's worked it's like let's get it out of there and preserve it you know and so it it really varies i mean we've had cases where we've gotten film reels and these are for movies that we have restored and the first step is to pour motor oil all over the negative because mm-hmm. <laughs> what does that? So what does that? What does that actually do? It, it what's loosens the, what's the... it up. So it's yeah. so it's so stiff and brittle and fragile that it needs to soak in oil. Mm-hmm. And amazingly, you can do this and then clean it. But there's mm-hmm. some there's something about like motor oil that is, you know, it's it's That's... it's a good thing. And film collectors have actually done this for years. They've like you know kept their films in oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's what keeps the film supple, so that you can work with it. If it gets to be too fragile, mm, sure, it's just going to break if you don't know how to handle it. Sure, uh, I mean it, it. It's a really interesting topic to me because there there are so many movies that we just don't have. Uh, that we either have records of, but not the actual film, or you know, we we've lost both. And and uh, you know, part of this is just a function of the Hollywood studio system in the in the in the early run. They were just making so much stuff, right? Like, how do we? I, I it's it's hard as a as a millennial, right? It is hard to imagine this world in which there isn't massive amounts of coverage of everything that's coming out. There isn't a VHS copy of everything or a DVD copy or a Blu-ray or whatever. I mean, it's just such it's such a it's such a foreign idea to me to think that that studios poured so much money into these things and then just kind of disposed of them. Well, uh, in many cases, that's true. And what's surprising is it seems like stuff is just coming out constantly. But I'm sure you notice that in many cases, it's the same stuff coming out over and over again, just in a new format. 
Mm, because sure. because the business is trying to convince everybody that you need to have it better than it was before, right? So you're going to get Casablanca and these films in every new format sure. that's devised. And they just and it's interesting because <laughs> I'm one of these people who has like warned folks uh like people who watch TCM have uh boy I got into an argument with this one fella who who wrote to me and said this movie looked horrible it looked horrible how dare you show a film in that condition <laughs> and I wrote back I said I want to ask you to do a favor turn off the high def setting on your TV when you watch Turner classic movies because if the movie is from the 30s or 40s and it hasn't been properly restored to to hold up in a high def setting mm -hmm. it's going to look bad i mean it's going to pixelate you're going to see every possible flaw that you can see when you watch it in high def because let's face it these genius cameramen back in the 30s and 40s were making um you know gold gilt paint on plywood look like the queen's palace Right. right. And and that required some artistry in their photography. If you just haphazardly take that and transfer it to high def, it's going to look like gold paint sure. on plywood. It's, it's yeah, not going to look totally. like the Queen's Palace anymore. It's going to look like a bad B movie. Yeah. Uh, so so these are all factors that you have to take into consideration when do, when doing this kind of work. Yeah. I, uh, I do you I, I I am I'm always kind of surprised by the the cult of TCM and the the like intense fandom uh, that <laughs> that the the channel has has uh, has sparked and and but I'm also like I'm also pleased by it because it is it is one of the few places you can go and watch actual old movies. And that's one one thing. Uncut I, and commercial free. Uncut and commercial free. <laughs> and and this is one reason that I love HBO Max because it has the TCM hub um, on on right on the streaming service. What do you make of this state of uh, getting older movies to folks on streaming channels like HBO Max? Or I remember when the Criterion Channel launched, uh, they had a big Columbia film noir series that I just ripped through. I watched, you know, half mm -hmm. of half of that whole lineup, uh, and it was. It, it, but it's but it's rare. It's rare. I mean, everything now is new. It's all stuff from the 2010s and 2000s. Yeah, that's that is true, and uh, I mean, there are a lot of ways I can answer this question. I th there will always be an audience. Uh, of obviously a somewhat sophisticated audience that sees the value in older films, right? Or as, you know, as Scorsese and others have said, there aren't old movies. There's just movies I haven't seen yet, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it takes a little sophistication to watch these movies in proper context to understand why this isn't corny because the acting style is different. It was like, no, that was the acting style that was in vogue at that time. I know for mm -hmm. a fact that in 30 or 40 years, there are things happening right now that we'll look back on and say, what the hell were we thinking? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, who thought this was a good idea? But, yeah. um, but I, I don't believe that the old films are going to go away. I think they'll become, you know, I mean, you see what's happening right now. 
you used to be, when I grew up, you could watch old movies anywhere, anywhere. There were rep cinemas all over San Francisco when I grew up, and then I'd go home, and at one o'clock I'd watch Dialing for Dollars, and then there'd be a movie on in the, you know, at, at dinner time, and then you could watch movies till dawn with Jay Brown, the Price Slasher, you know. And this is how I got my film education. They had commercials though, mm -hmm. so you know, thank goodness for Ted Turner creating TCM and like no commercial interruptions, yeah. which is, which is great. Um, but now TCM is sort of it. Yeah. You know, uh, we see ourselves as the gatekeeper of American cinema history. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is, you know? Yeah. Gatekeepers, probably the wrong term. I would say the guardians were the, the guardians yeah, yeah, of American cinema history. Um, but you know, it, it's all interesting to me because we also get a lot of grief from some fans who are like, how dare you show movies from the 70s and 80s? And it's like, you you need to understand that, you know, The Godfather is a classic film. Sure. <laughs> I mean, sure. That's, that's all there is yeah. to it, right? Chinatown is a classic film. Yeah. It doesn't need to be 20 years older before we can say that. It, it, we know that, okay? And there are films made later than, much later than that, that I have no problem uh showing them on tcm it's not always my decision of course uh and, and also a lot of the things that you've talked about in terms of trying to restore and preserve films the same thing is going to happen with digital media mm -hmm. right the exact same thing because you shoot stuff on digital and then the formats change just like it went from nitrate to safety film and they threw out the nitrate uh, if you shot a film on some kind of camera that becomes obsolete or young filmmakers who make a movie and I'm going to, you know, this is going to be my breakout film and then it never gets finished and it's in boxes of with software and stuff under their bed. And then yeah. later on, they make their breakout film and then it's like, what else you got? And I go, well, there's my first film, which is under my bed in pieces. Yeah. And it's like, well, how do you preserve that? Yeah. Right. Uh, and and I know that's a story that is playing out yeah. <laughs> every I'm single sure. day all across the world. Yeah. I mean, it, it is it, it's it's crazy. Again, just just through my lifetime watching the, the shift from VHS to DVD and Blu-ray and now 4K and the the corresponding increase in tech in, in quality of the image, but also just decrease in the number of titles that are actually available in each format. And like, it's it's. It is it's just crazy to watch happen in real time what 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 you are trying to prevent happening to these these older movies. So I I want to I I want to I want to give people a, a quick primer on film noir. Uh, listeners, I I want to, I want I I was hoping you might be able to recommend I don't know, two or three titles that people can uh, can access with relative ease, you know, either via DVD or streaming or whatever um, that will that will or TCM or Turner Classic, of course, uh, and, and that will inspire them to uh, deep dive more deeply into into the genre. Um, I, I always offer the same few titles to the people who are coming to it for the first time. Uh, I would say start with Double Indemnity. Uh, you know, Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity, released in 1944. That that that's the archetypal noir film. Uh, Out of the Past, 
Jacques Tenure directed Out of the Past in 1947 with Robert Mitchum, Jane Greer, and Kirk Douglas. Absolutely fantastic movie. Uh, and then I would I would say a, a Robert Siadmak film, probably The Killers from 1946, or Crisscross from 1949, or Phantom Lady from 1944. He's my favorite noir director, so I I highly recommend those. Maybe you know, and all, these are not hard films to find. Mm -hmm. um, so I I don't know, of course, uh, because I work for TCM. I don't like go to Netflix to look for old films. <laughs> Uh, well, no, but I would nobody be, does. I would that's, be well. You know that's that's uh, you know. But it, that's why I'm glad that HBO Max has that TCM hub now, where you actually can go and watch these things on demand, basically uh, on HBO Max, which is terrific. But you know, those are the films that I would suggest. Uh, you know, people who are wondering what is this whole noir thing about. It's been amazing. The the Noir Alley franchise on TCM has just been a huge success. It's um and what I find very gratifying about it is uh it's not older people saying, "Oh, they don't make them like they used to." I mean, these these films appeal to a younger generation of of film lover as well. And you know, I do a lot of my own film festivals or I did before the pandemic. Sure. Uh, you know, I did eight live festivals around the country, and I, I can tell you that that's one of the reasons why when I read stories, you know, op-ed pieces in the New York Times or something about, you know, the younger generation just doesn't get it, you know, uh, or you see all those people who gang up on Scorsese when he talks about, you know, superhero movies aren't cinema and all that. Mm -hmm. um, I see thousands and thousands of young people who come to my festivals who love the old films. You know, I, I have firsthand evidence of this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may not be the kind of numbers that executives are looking at in, you know, in their corporate towers when they see, you know, we have to keep up with Netflix. We have to keep up with Disney plus, but I'll be damned if I'm not seeing a lot of these people who are, making the ultimate effort which is leaving their house and actually yeah. going to the cinema and watching movies with other people like them i mean th yeah. those younger people are out there believe me have you uh have you have you gotten back into the swing of planning festivals or anything yet just I mean, starting are we, to. are we still okay just okay. starting to we yeah. we did a couple of things online and there's real value in that. So, you know, to jump back to a question you asked a few minutes ago about, you know, what does the future hold? Um, I, tr I truly believe it's going to be both things. I think streaming is here. I mean, there's, you know, there's no going back. True. Um, but I don't think it spells the end of, of live cinema. Uh, I think people are aching to go back into movie theaters uh i i know that i am um and and i don't think that's going to end and i don't necessarily think it's going to be um reserved for special event kind of things or museum type programs or massive you know the new chris nolan movie or something i i think there's something to be said for smaller sized cinemas i mean we've certainly seen that that's been the trend, you know. Um, but, you know, we 
we have very enthusiastic audiences at various sized cinemas around the country that are itching to come back and watch old movies. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good to hear because I'm a big supporter of the theatrical experience. Don't want those to go away. Um, I, I, I always like to end the show by asking uh, my guest, what what should I have asked? What, what did I fail to ask in my terrible ignorance on the subject uh, at hand? Um, what, what should people know about both the Film Noir Foundation, Film Noir in general, or anything else? Um, you know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I'm going to just end my spiel here by just saying um, I never expected to be doing this, quite honestly. I never expected to be doing any of this. So the, the last 20 years has been an incredible ride because uh, starting with the book, Dark City, The Lost World of Film Noir, that led to my actually programming uh, film shows. Uh, you know, mostly in California, but then it expanded across the country. And and then that got me into, I want to show this movie, why can't I get a print of it, which led to the creation of the Film Noir Foundation. And then all of that led to this gig on Turner Classic Movies, hosting these films. So, um, and the underlying thing in all of this was just kind of a relentless enthusiasm for discovering and learning new things. And so that that's all that I would say to people is if you have a passion for something, uh, don't let anybody tell you, well, you don't know how to do that because trust me, I didn't know how to do any of this 20 years ago. I mean, yeah. zero. If you had told me, oh, you're going to be an internationally known film restorationist, I'd say, well, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's great. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is the most delightfully uh, cheerful thing I think anybody's closed this show with. I love that. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, uh, Eddie Muller. Thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was uh, my, check out. It was my pleasure, Sonny. The whole thing. <laughs> good, good. Uh, your website is eddiemuller.com, right? That is uh, correct. Is that, although, yeah, okay. although for our purposes, I would send people to filmnoirfoundation.org. Yep. Uh, you, you can go to both those, find his books, read them. Uh, he's very and, and watch. Watch Turner Classic Movies. It's fantastic. I would be remiss. My publisher will kill me if I don't say that that Dark City book is coming out at, uh, in a brand new revised and expanded edition. Oh, great. Uh, with a street date of July 6th. And it's everything I ever wanted the book to be when I first conceived of it 22 years ago. And and now it's it's there. It's finally there in hardcover and it's fabulous so uh, excellent you can you can order that now i will put that i will put a link to that uh in the in the post with this uh with this podcast thanks once again for being on the show eddie i really appreciate it uh as always i am sunny bunch culture editor at the bulwark i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the bulwark goes to hollywood i will be back next week with another episode see you guys then mm-hmm.